we see once again the very specific, <clears throat> very specific and detailed directions that have been given to Moses for the holy service within the tabernacle. Uh, the components <clears throat> of the priestly preparation, you've seen other aspects of the priestly preparation. They, they couldn't just show up. They had to do things exactly, had to wear exactly what God told them to wear, prepare how he told them to prepare. But we see the, the components of the priestly preparation, as well as even here in this text, even the oil and the ingredients of this incense, the very specific guidance from the Lord, speak to his sovereign design, his sovereign design, and God's willingness to tabernacle with man, but... It must be, and it will be, on his prescribed word, won't it? Or there could be people dying. The priests themselves, these were God's chosen men. Later we'll see that Nadab and Abihu do die. These were Aaron's sons. They, they will not do exactly the way the Lord said it. So we see the seriousness but also God's desire and every detail matters to the Lord. That exactly the way he has said, Moses, this is what I want done. And these are, these are the means by which I will come and meet with you. I'll come and meet with Aaron. I'll come and meet with the priesthood according to my word. Not what we would design, right? It's not our design. You didn't design yourself, did you? If you did, like me, you would make some changes, right? I liked playing basketball. I'm five foot nine and a quarter. I used to be five foot nine and a half, right? I would have given myself a little more components, right? Stretch the vertebrae a little bit. We don't design ourselves. We don't design our calling. We don't design anything that comes in our life. We simply receive it and walk in it. It was the Lord that declared the sacred aspects of the tabernacle. This included, as you know, the dimensions, the materials, the sacrifices, the times of the day, the priestly responsibilities, the clothing, just to name a few. But God was teaching the children of Israel that the Lord is not a man like they are. We need to remember that, don't we? God is not a man. All men, the Scriptures, are liars, the Scriptures say. Oh, even you and me, aren't we? But not God. He's not a man like we are. He's holy. He's mighty. He's perfect. He's sinless, and he's to be feared and worshipped, and we're to be in awe of him. You know, it's, you can never have too much awe of God. It being down there in the Outer Banks, that's one place where I was sitting in the, uh, the sand dunes, they get so huge. And you know, it's like the, mat, the reason they're both big is because the ocean's so powerful at that place that drives sand forward. These massive dunes, on the one hand, you know, the dunes are made by the powerful waves, but on the other hand, they protect the rest of the beach from the powerful waves. That's kind of the way God is, isn't he? He's the one that actually protects us from things, but he also is the same power that can drive right through anything, right? And we want to listen to his voice, his still small voice, his word. For ancient Israel, the tabernacle, its detailed elements and the order and maintaining of the priestly duties was collectively, collectively when you read what we've been reading the last several chapters, collectively... This is a sacred composition, isn't it? God taking all of these different things. I kind of think of it like, how many like symphonies? If you don't listen to them, they're amazing. And, and a great composer, the great composers, they actually would hear, some of them had genius IQs, they would hear all the different notes from many instruments in their head, and they would write them down, wouldn't they? Great ones like, Mozart, that they would hear all that music and they would know the different notes and every instrument had a, and none of them were by accident, everything had a reason for when you would hear that tiny little wind chime at one point, not a wind chime, but 
You musicians know what I'm talking about. That chime. Wind chimes you hang on your front porch, I know. But it's still a chime. But God does the same thing. He's the composer of this carefully orchestrated, everything has a purpose. You mean, when he said cassia, he means, yes, this amount, just a hen of this, this amount. This, no, the labor has to be made of bronze, right? Bronze signifies that there's judgment, but we get to be washed in lieu of judgment. For you and me, if we have come to a place of repentance and salvation through Jesus Christ, our lives become a sacred composition that God has kind of stitched together. Even taking and re- reworking all the things that the locusts have eaten away before you came to Christ and you made a bigger mess of things than you currently still make. Because we still make a mess. Even after salvation, we still make some messes, don't we? Not always on purpose. Right? Sometimes on purpose. I was reading, and uh, I was telling my wife just this morning, I was reading, and uh, how many of you have ever heard of D.L. Moody? Great man. Preached to millions. God used him on both sides of the Atlantic. Many came to Christ, and uh, one time he was doing so much for the Lord that he became a little bit stressed and anxious, and uh, one guy pushed his buttons. He pushed the guy down a flight of stairs. That'll get your attention when your pastor does that, by the way. But, uh, you know, he ended up confessing and and repenting in front of the whole church and everything. But, you know, you can still make a mess after salvation, but before salvation, you know, all we were was a mess. And so God takes even the past, even the faults, even the mistakes, and actually still makes this sacred composition. And so we're perfect in the blood of Jesus, though we still are imperfect. As a matter of fact, when I was down at the Outer Banks this week, the message I preached to them on Thursday night was faithful, not perfect. Faithful, not perfect. Now, we're being perfected, but we won't see perfection until we get to the other side with the Lord. Amen? But God does a sacred work, a, a work through those of us that have come to know Him as our Lord and Savior. Now, we're willing to be put together as only the Lord can do. And as we look at this first point, this uh, clean, this bronze laver, uh, you shall make a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing. You're going to have to put water in it. It's going to be between the uh, tabernacle of meeting and the altar. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and their feet In verse 20, when they go into the tabernacle, when they come near the altar to minister, they shall wash with water lest they die. Now, this bronze laver, interestingly enough, and the Lord records it for us, or Moses writes it in Exodus 38.8, you know where the metals came from? Now, remember that the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, they were given a whole lot of stuff from their neighbors. Remember, their neighbors gave them gold, silver, precious metals, copper, bronze, uh, heirlooms, all kinds of things that were given. People basically gave their life savings over to the children of Israel and still were scratching their heads later why they did that. Because God had put it in their hearts that they must. Well, one of the things that the ladies had in Exodus 38.8 tells us is uh, a lot of the Israelite women had mirrors. And the mirrors were made also of bronze. Not, we don't know if exclusively of bronze. We know that if you, most of you probably know that mirrors have silver in them, which is why they shine like they do. Uh, mirrors have trace uh, amounts of silver in them, and they, you, you use them with other metals. But you can always, you can use other metals as well. Just like, uh, you know, on a cl- clear, calm day, as we saw on our last day down uh, on the coast, it was so calm that the water was a mirror. Every single tree, every book was, was as clear as it could be. Well, you can use copper and metals and bronze. In this case, the bronze laver, the bronze came from mirrors that the women of Israel gave as offerings to Moses at the, at the front of the tabernacle. So they brought all their mirrors. Would you ladies like to all give up your mirrors? You're going by faith then, aren't you? (laughs) 
I've seen women ride down the road that won't give up the mirror in the car, you know, you know, driving much less the mirror in the house. But they gave up these mirrors that were made of bronze as an offering to the Lord in the tabernacle. And women generally are more interested in mirrors than, well, <laughs> some men love the mirror too. I get Some of you wives say, you ain't seen my husband, you know. <laughs> Must check himself 15 times before he goes out the door. Well, it used to be that way. Yeah, in those days, the uh, Israelite men had beards and stuff. They didn't worry about all this stuff. And they didn't have hair gel and all this other thing. They just, but the ladies gave these mirrors and God desires, I think what's interesting about that, God desires that we would be willing, that we would be willing to lay aside our self-image and appearance to see a work of cleansing and tabernacle, which means God dwelling among us, to take place. Would you agree? That God would want us to be willing to lay aside our self-image, what we think everyone's impressed by, that God would tabernacle with us and that he would do a work of cleansing. I think that's what's significant about these mirrors were used or given up. Now, when we think about being cleansed, we think about being clean, we think about the, the priesthood washing themselves, uh, it's impossible not to think of this related to salvation. Nobody can come into the presence of God unless they are cleansed. We know this, right? You can't ascend into the hill of the Lord without clean hands and a clean heart. You can't come into the presence of God. Now, you can come and fall before the Lord and ask to be cleansed, but you don't go into his presence. And we all had to fall before the Lord to be cleansed, right? But the unsaved world doesn't hang out in the throne room of God. The sons of Pharaoh were not the priesthood, were they? It was Aaron and his sons. They... They had to first be cleansed. The opposite of being clean is death. We see that this that twice it says if they are not clean, they'll die. The opposite of being clean is death. Everyone who's been cleansed by Jesus has life. Right? In the sun, is there, there's life in the sun. If we not, have not the sun, we have not life. We have the sun, we have cleansing. We don't have the sun, we don't have cleansing. We don't have cleansing, we're still dead in our trespasses and sin. Without cleansing, it's certain death. Isaiah 1.16 says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Now in the Old Testament, there was always the command to run from evil, to put it away, to get rid of it, to clean yourself, but Really, God knows that a person cannot clean themselves. That's why we're singing those songs about mercy. They're calling upon the mercy of the Lord. God knows a person can't actually clean themselves, but what a person can do is cry out and say, Lord, change me. The willing heart. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Now, those of you know, I actually preached when I came back from Israel that that 36th chapter is primarily about the nation of Israel, though there are a number of verses, this being one of them, that are completely applicable and purposely in there for us as individuals, not just nation states. In that verse, God says, I will sprinkle you with clean water, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. See, if you, if you were like Aaron in the priesthood, and you're washing your hands, you're washing your feet, it's symbolic. Does that really cleanse the inside of the heart? No. Only God can do that work. A person cannot cleanse themselves, but yet God calls a person to. Remember, if you're here in our studies uh, in the book of Romans, the law wasn't given that people could prove they could keep it. It was given that they would know they couldn't, and therefore they would cry out for God's mercy. But if we stay in sin, if we stay in filth, it's a choice. It's a choice. 
They didn't have to obey the Lord. They could say, hey, God said to wash before we go in there, but we're not going to. They would die. Matthew Henry says, it is our own fault if we remain in our pollution. It's our own fault. It's true before salvation, and it's true after salvation. Because after salvation, there's no condemnation, according to Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation to anyone who's in Christ. Do you realize that if we're in the Lord, we're no longer condemned. So therefore, if we stay in a place of pollution, D.L. Moody failed. Did he stay there? No. He confessed it, repented of it, asked his brothers and sisters for forgiveness, and he went on to do far greater things after that point in his life, by the way. He went on to preach to both sides of the Atlantic and millions came. Actually, he had already done amazing things during the Civil War and everything else, but God was not done that if we remain in our own pollution, it's certainly our own fault. Now, we know that Jesus is the cleansing water, isn't he? He's the cleansing fountain. Zechariah 13.1, it says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanliness, and even though a fountain will spring forth from the future temple, also uh, Ezekiel speaks of, even though that fountain will spring forth, the fountain is Christ. You know that those of us who are saved, a fountains of living water flow from us by who? The Spirit of Jesus Christ, also known as the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, one and the same. And he's also the cleansing blood. He's not only the cleansing fountain, Jesus is also the cleansing blood. 1 John 1, 7, in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. It's a weird thing that, you know, it talks about in the book of Revelation that the white robes are made white, dipped in blood. That seems odd, doesn't it? You ever dip something in red? Doesn't become white, does it? But Jesus' blood does something different dips, and everything becomes white and clean. He's the cleansing fountain. He's the cleansing blood. Now, this cleanliness not only speaks to salvation, but it also speaks to, and you think about the priesthood, these priests were already loyal to the Lord. Wouldn't you agree that Aaron and his sons were loyal to the Lord? If they weren't, they would have already been dead, right? They were already loyal to the Lord. Now, God knows, this is what I've shared on Thursday night, he knows we will make mistakes, but he wants faithfulness. Right? Faithfulness. But even in our faithfulness, we still need the continual cleansing, don't we? That's why they had to, it wasn't like that the time that they washed yesterday was working for the next day. Every time, every time they went into minister, what did they do? Hands and feet again, over and over. How many times have you had to pray for cleansing? I bet some of you were praying this morning while you were worshiping, weren't you? Of course you were. Because you constantly need the mercies, the fresh new mercies of the Lord, the cleansing of the Lord. Psalm 19.12 says, who can, understands his, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. So even a person that thinks they're actually, oh, there's not a single thing God would say, I actually know a couple of secret faults of yours. It's secret even to you. That's why we need grace, isn't it? If, it was, if you didn't have grace, that fit, grace is the gap there, that, that Jesus says, I stand and make intercession on your behalf because you have secret faults you're not even aware of. Now, over time, God will reveal those, and those will drop by the wayside, won't they? But until that time, we keep coming back to the basin of the water that comes from the throne of Jesus, don't we? Even though the priest, they had washed at home before they came to the tabernacle, they, they were not negligent and being clean. They had washed at home, and yet they still, when they came to the tabernacle, had to wash again. And it's because we need God's perpetual, continual cleansing throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the year. But we have to be intentional about going. You know, no, one was going no one was going to carry the priesthood to the, 
uh, bronze laver, they had to intentionally go there themselves. I can't, com- I can't convince you to go to the cleansing of Jesus. You must listen to the Holy Spirit and go. Amen? You can't convince me to go. I must hear the Lord and obey. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Beloved, Paul writing, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul's writing to believers here. Did you hear what he said? Beloved. He's talking to the beloved of God. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Now, we can't cleanse ourselves, so what is Paul saying? From all filthiness of the flesh, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. We can choose the fear of the Lord, which is a purifying work and a humbling work, and a convicting work, and then we fall before the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, cleanse us. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Sometimes we become double-minded, don't we? You know what that means? We think half like the world and half like Jesus. Jesus never thought like the world, ever. Not one second did he ever think like Time Magazine or New York Times and their supposed wisdom, ever. Not even for a millisecond. You and I, sometimes we think like the world. It's being double-minded. God says, draw near to me, let me purify you, and you won't be double-minded. You'll be single-minded. You'll be heavenly-minded. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that that's... Just straightforward, Jesus says, look, if you're in your own pollution, just come to me. Sometimes people will stay in their own pollution longer because of guilt. We've all felt that. We're like, man, I don't, I've messed up so royally this week. I'm not saying you ran back to the world and were doing the things you used to do before salvation, but you just, your mind just wandered from the Lord and you just got in the cares. Jesus talked about the cares of the world. You just got caught up in the cares of the world, right? Not so much that you went back and you were, uh, you know, wallowing in sin like the prodigal son, but your, your mind just wasn't on God. It wasn't on Christ. It wasn't on reaching out to someone who is hurting. It wasn't on seeing, oh, that person is lost. One of the things that D.L. Moody, when he was in London, uh, when he was standing there with... Um, I don't remember which pastor he was. He was standing there looking out over the city of London, uh, and he asked that other pastor, he said, what do you see when you look out here? He said, I see all kinds of people running around doing their business. He goes, that's your problem. I see people dying. Right? That's the difference between seeing with God's eyes and seeing with the world's eyes, which... We're born with the world's eyes. We have eyes of flesh, don't we? That's why we can still be tempted. That's why we can still be drawn away. That's why we can still know that the labor is there to clean ours, and we still won't go there. Right? We'll put it off. But we're smart enough to know, well, if I, if I don't wash, then I'll suffer some kind of, not death like the, the priesthood, so I just won't do a minister. I figured that one out. And God's like, what are you thinking? So now you're not going to go light the menorah? No, no, because I'll die. And so imagine if Aaron told Moses, yeah, it, uh, I'm not going to light the menorah. I'm not going to go put any incense on because uh, I don't want to wash in the basin. But if I, wash in the basin, if I don't wash in the basin, I'll die. So I just won't do anything. That's what a lot of Christians end up thinking like. Well, since I can't do, or I still feel guilty, and God says, no, no, humble yourself and just come be washed. I'll give you the power to go do. I'll give you the will to go do if you'll first be cleansed. Let's look at this next piece, anointing. The holy anointing oil. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of myrrh, liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, I don't know if Cinnabon got, Cinnabon got the, the, uh, the idea here. 
But by the way, you can smell Cinnabon before you see a Cinnabon, can't you? And it's distinct. You're like, I'm pretty sure that's a Cinnabon. It doesn't matter if you're in an airport, because they now put them in airports, by the way. It doesn't matter if you're at a corporate cafeteria. It doesn't matter where you're at. You're like, that smells like a sweet-smelling aroma of holiness coming from, you know, right? (laughs) But it's not holy. It'll actually make you put on, uh, you know, all kinds of cholesterol and all kinds of other things. But but it's deceptively holy-smelling, right? And we, we understand that, that cinnamon itself has a great scent. But there was more than just the cinnamon here. It was the, it was the sweet-smelling cane. Now I know sugar is okay, because it's right here. Sugar-free diet. You see it right here. Cassia. Olive oil. Now, olive oil, I like the smell of olive oil, but I'm glad that these other things were, you know, because olive oil by itself... Although I like the smell, I don't really want it as a perfume or anything, or a cologne. I don't wear perfume, guys. A cologne, which you weren't allowed to even use this as cologne. Right? It's very clear. This was only for the priesthood, Aaron and his sons, and the utensils. They were to be anointed, so they would smell like this as well. The menorah would Everything, all the utensils would smell with this incredibly... Now, the children of Israel weren't even allowed to... Even though if they knew the ingredients, they weren't allowed to duplicate it and create it just so they would know what it smelled like in there. Dangerous thing. Everything has to be from the Lord. We can't create anything. We can only receive it in God's timing in his way, according to his will. But this sacred compound, only used for the anointing of the priests and the utensils, uh, it says you couldn't put it on human flesh. What that meant, uh, the better rendering is, and they, couldn't, <clears throat> they couldn't just use it as like a, a perfume or a lotion. Obviously, it touched human flesh when it touched the priesthood. It's talking about the general population of the children of Israel, they couldn't say, hey, uh, that stuff, if it's that good for the Lord, I bet it makes a great skin lotion. I bet it you know, really will, uh, probably will the, uh, the perfume will last for days. They couldn't use it in that manner. It was only to be used in a holy setting inside the tabernacle. It couldn't leave that area, other than being on the priesthood themselves, which they might, you, know, you probably could smell the priest, say, well, oh, you smell great. I've been in the presence of the Lord, the holy anointing oil. When you think about though being anointed, think about the Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, verses 17 and 19, uh, Jesus was in the, um, in the house of the Lord, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he opened the book, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery to the sight of the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He was quoting directly from Isaiah 61. Jesus quoting from Isaiah 61 and saying, guess what? I am the anointed one. Jesus, his name means anointed one. He is the anointed of the Lord. In these priesthood, they were, they were foreshadowing. Remember, Jesus would be our high priest, and he would be anointed for the... Cert- Look at what he would be anointed for. He would be anointed to preach the gospel, to heal brokenhearted people. If you're here today and you're, you're unsaved, you're brokenhearted, Jesus came, he was anointed to be your priest and your savior and your master, and your counselor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty all. These are what Jesus, these are the reasons, these are the people that Jesus was anointed for. Even though the priests were in there, they were ministering unto the Lord. Jesus' ministry unto the Lord was to be anointed for the service of reaching out with healing hands. The priesthood, they were anointed to reach up with holy hands, which Jesus now does on our behalf 
as the high priest of the confession of our faith. He intercedes on our behalf. But his anointing on earth was to preach the gospel, to proclaim salvation. Remember that Jesus, at his birth, a little bit after his birth, because the wise men come a little bit, you know, somewhere by the age of zero to two. We don't know the exact age. Remember, he was presented as a child, as a little one, with myrrh, wasn't he? Then again, according to the book of John, at his death, he was anointed with spices and myrrh. In Bethany, just before his death on the cross, he was anointed with the precious oil of spikenard that the, the woman poured it on his head and it went down him. He was anointed for what? He was anointed for burial. He was anointed to preach. He was anointed to die. He was anointed as the Prince of Peace, as a little child. All these things, we see Jesus anointed. But who really anointed Jesus? Well, the book of Acts in Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. No human components, although they're not human components. I mean, God created cinnamon, God created myrrh, God created these things, but none of the components that we could put together, they in and of themselves don't really anoint us. God anoints. Amen? God anoints with power and with the Holy Spirit. We see the olive oil there. It's a picture of the Spirit. The oil must be present in the anointing, the oil of the Spirit. It's the same oil on the lamps lit with the faithful virgins. 2 Corinthians 1.21, Paul says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us in God. My anointing as a pastor didn't come from you, and it certainly didn't come from me. I had told God many times, I'm really happy in the business world. And God says, I know, but I've anointed you to be a pastor. I don't know why. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about you. By the way, when D.L. Moody spoke like that way to, Eng- uh, to the people of England, they were like, <gasps> and, and, and it, it's really cool. He, he was so non-politically correct because they were used to the high the high T speaking of England, and you wouldn't, you know, he, he would be introduced, and if somebody said something that wasn't correct, he'd say, all right, I'm going to correct this guy. I'm not a pastor. I'm simply D.L. Moody. And he would roll right on, and people were endeared to his candidness. I was saying, look, I'm just a guy that God is using, and I'm not sure why. Right? The saying, I, uh, a nobody telling anybody about the somebody right? And that's what we're all called to be. Our anointing is from the Lord. You're all anointed to do something in ministry for the Lord. Do you believe that? Everyone. You might not be anointed to be an evangelist or a pastor or a missionary, but you're anointed to be in children's ministry, to be at Bonaire. We have a meeting right after the service. There's lots of lost kids over there that are completely in darkness. Some of them are demonically possessed. You're anointed to go talk to them. You're anointed to go talk. You're actually anointed. I love what Sam Nadler, who will be here uh, first week of June, when he sits down on an airplane, he knows that he's anointed to preach to the person, whoever's beside him. That's what he says. You have a divine appointment today. Because God told me to go preach the gospel to every creature, and you appear to be a creature (laughs) of some description. Therefore, you will hear something from the Lord today. iPods go in real quick, you know. uh, No, I won't. (laughs) They can choose to say no. But we're all anointed to do something for Jesus, but we're not anointed through this holy anointing oil anymore. We're anointed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And Paul says it. He who establishes you in Christ has anointed us is God. God's the one that anointed us. He saved us. He called us. No one can come to the Father unless he draws us unto himself. He draws us. Then he anoints us. Then he sends us out as his witnesses. Acts 1.8. We would be his witnesses with power. Now, you get this oil. You weren't allowed to make any other oil like it. It was holy. It tells us that the work of the Holy Spirit, it cannot be imitated. 
We're even warned in the Scripture of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, aren't we? Which, that's a separate study, and mostly that is directed towards resisting the Spirit that's calling you to salvation. But nevertheless, many people will feign a work of the Spirit. There's false teachers on the TV that will say, the Holy Spirit has anointed me to tell you to send me a lot of money. That's a false oil. God never told me or anyone else to beg you for money. But to beg you to serve the Lord Jesus is a good thing. Now, Paul would beg people with tears to make sure that they didn't fall away. That's one thing. But this other nonsense, there's a, there was a fake use of the oil or there was a, hey, let's try and duplicate it. And God's like, I don't do duplication of my work. He'll multiply an effort, but he doesn't want us to fake it. He wants it to be genuine and not misused. This would have been a misuse for anyone else to say, hey, let's make this oil. Because this, this looks like it would smell wonderful. The children of Israel, they had many gifts and talents. They were artisans. We can see next week that God gave them somebody with a, um, let's say, an entrepreneurial mind might say, hey, I could find 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. I know where to buy cinnamon for the traders that come from India. Uh, let's get ourselves some sweet sweet and cane, cassia, olive oil, a hint of olive oil. If God came up with these ingredients, this would smell incredible. What if we sold this on the market and make a lot of money? Do you realize that people are making a lot of money on the backs of Jesus Christ today? They have taken the sweet composition of the gospel and watered it down and turned it in. We've got pastors living on million-dollar homes, multi-million-dollar homes, flying on private jets. We've got people that are actually taking the gospel and watering it down that anybody and everybody feels great to hang out, and yet no one's actually getting saved. And they'll hear, depart from me, I never knew you, because they actually bought a bottle of fake oil. They didn't buy the real thing. Matter of fact, you, don't, you can't even buy it. You can only receive it. Praise the Lord. You don't have to buy salvation because none of us could afford that. All the souls that have ever lived couldn't pay for Jesus' blood was enough for billions of people that have ever lived. But this oil, you couldn't... I believe that God's saying, look, what I have given to mankind in the form of my son, do not compromise it and create a fraud, a fake. Jesus said three times in Matthew 24, many will come in my name and they'll bring a different false gospel. They'll try and make you think that this is the oil that I gave to the priesthood, but it's not. Reject it. Run from it. Turn from it. This is not the work of the Lord. We even see here in this cinnamon. I do love cinnamon. Cinnamon's actually really good for you, by the way. Helps you break down sugars. Good for your metabolism. But cinnamon comes from the bark of a tree. You guys probably know that. Some of you probably don't, but most of you probably do. Cinnamon comes from the bark of a tree. Isn't it interesting that one day Jesus would hang on a tree? The oil. Picture of the Spirit. The oil, of course, would be poured on Him. He, his Death would be a sweet incense up to the Lord, even though his father would turn and Jesus would say, why have you forsaken me? But in going through what he went through, he now is the one that anoints us. Isn't it great to be anointed by Jesus himself? I mean, the apostle Paul, a Christian killer, grabbed by the Lord and says, I've anointed you now. You now work for me. What if Christians are scared of me? They will be for a while. What if people don't listen to me? Some won't, some will, but I've anointed you, now go, and I'll fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will not preach a false gospel. You'll actually refute those that do. Of course, he would write much of our New Testament even refuting the false gospels that would rise up even in his own day. But you and I, brothers and sisters, we've been anointed by the Lord 
and this anointing will have a fragrance of Christ when we're anointed by the Lord, right? You meet people with that fragrance of Christ. Don't, Paul writes about it in Corinthians that, that we should have the fragrance of Christ. The world has its own fragrance, right? It's a fragrance of death. It's a fragrance of complaining. It's a fragrance of nothing's going to work out. It's a fragrance of fear. It's a fragrance of I must have more. It's a fragrance of selfishness. We're the opposite. Jesus was all those. He actually sets people free from all that. Look at the last piece of a text, our text this morning, the incense. And the Lord spoke to Moses, take sweet spices, stachny, nitra, gall balm, pure frankincense. Jesus was also presented as a child with what? Frankincense. Also was given to him as a little one. But this incense, we see in this uh, 35th verse, the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. Now you think about those three words, salted, pure, and holy, and I would say without question, we're called to all three, aren't we? We're called to be the salt of the earth by Jesus' own lips. We're called to be pure, and we're called to live holy lives set apart. That's what holiness It's set apart to the worship and work of the Lord, to be holy and set apart. There is a world around us that has in its own eyes a purity that's not really pure. It's hypocrisy, isn't it? It's having themselves or others believe in a purity that's really not there. Proverbs 30 speaks of it. Proverbs 30 verse 12 says, There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet it has not washed from its filthiness. And sometimes we've been guilty of that ourselves, even after salvation, right? We're not really pure. Now, we're saved, but there's some impurity that we have allowed to be there of our own volition, of our own choice, and our lives will not really be a pure incense to the Lord until those things are corrected. It happens all through Scripture. Peter had to make things right when he had denied the Lord, didn't he? Paul had to set him straight when he uh, wouldn't eat with non-Jews for a little bit of time. These things are impure. That's, that's an impure... God will point out to us that no, no, that's impure... And he'll tell you, in no uncertain terms, and your prayer life, as you ride down the street, he'll make sure you know this isn't pure. You can't be the salt of the earth like this. You can't be holy unto me. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. The priesthood, yes, they had to wash their hands. They had to use the pure oil. They had to present this pure salted incense before the Lord. Our offering will be pure. It'll be sweet. It'll be beautiful to the Lord when our hearts are really yielded. When we offer our lives as a pure incense, pleasant to the Lord, He blesses and uses. Now think about this. In the priesthood, they would go and serve and the people would observe from the outside. They would see the smoke arise from the sacrifices that would go up. Right? They would see once the burnt sacrifices, the priesthood might come out and they have the sweet aroma of all these things. They've been around the utensils and they would observe what we now experience. I mean, these were a foreshadow of the things to come. That's what scriptures tell us. They were a foreshadowing of the things to come. We now experience Jesus himself cleansing us. We now experience Jesus himself anointing us and we now experience a purity in our hearts that we can't produce. You cannot make yourself pure. You can ask God to make you pure, and he will. He will not refuse the contrite and humble heart. But when we then offer our lives as a pure incense, we offer it up as an incense, and God is well pleased with it. Not with your perfection, but with your faithfulness. And he'll continue to make you more faithful as he perfects you. But then he takes the incense of your sacrifice live 
and he flips it back around, and he sends back your way the blessing and the power to be used by him. It's not a one-way thing. It's not like the incense rises up from our life, and that's the end of it. No, God looks down and then anoints us and keeps, it's almost like a circle. He keeps washing, anointing, and receiving the worship of your life, the incense, and he does the same thing. He keeps washing, anointing with what? With the power of the Holy Spirit, which we just discussed. So he re-anoints with the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the power of the Holy Spirit next week, by the way. I need it the week after that. I need it the month after that. I need it in 2014, 2015, and beyond. How about you? So God continues to do this amazing work as we offer him the purity of the incense of our life. It's our prayer life. It's reaching out with the hands and feet of Jesus. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Remember our pure sacrifice, God sends back wisdom, power, boldness. The guys were out street witnessing life. You need boldness. No matter how many times I've ever gone and shared the gospel, I need boldness again like I've never done it before. You need boldness. You need his power. It goes on, James 3.17, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. That's not a worldly thing right there. Willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. And just like the incense, you weren't allowed, just like the uh, holy anointing oil, you weren't allowed to make a, a copy of it. This was for the Lord. God can do whatever he wants, but you can't mimic or fake it. You can simply say, yes, Lord, I'll trust and obey, I'll walk, and the work will be pure that comes through. You can't try and make money off of it. You can't try and use it in a fraudulent way. It is holy to the Lord. And God will use it in a great way. You know, I'm going to close with, I'm going to read something to you. The incense of a yielded life. Hear this. The incense of a yielded life and the power that God releases is supernatural. It can't be duplicated. This is why God didn't want the children of Israel duplicating it. God says, look, whatever I do, I do. Your life is holy unto me, no one else. And I will take that which I have designed. Remember I said at the beginning, the composition of your life, you didn't create. You didn't create your height. You didn't create your hair color. You didn't create, well, some of you ladies have. Uh, you didn't create your eye color. Right? You didn't create a lot of things. You might have created your own breakfast this morning, but that's, you know, God created the components of which you created the breakfast. What God gives us he then, if we, if, we, if we say, Lord, cleanse me, anoint me, and I give my life back, sweet smell, you will never know what God will do with it. I want to read this story. About, how many of you know who Richard Wormbrand is? Richard Wormbrand, after, the, after World War II, after the Nazis uh, uh, fell, and Romania then was taken over by communist Russia. Of course, Romania was a puppet uh, as were many of the Iron Bloc nations there. They were a puppet of the Soviet, former Soviet Union. He ended up being imprisoned, tortured, beaten, nearly starved to death, as were many, many other Christians, and many died. And his wife, of course, is imprisoned as well. But listen to this. This is a perfect example of a life given as incense where it makes no sense what God could possibly do and he does the supernatural, where it is not just going up, it's going out. In other words, the incense of your life then goes beyond your own place. Even when Romanian pastor Richard Wormbrandt was placed in a solitary prison cell, totally devoid of light and sound. That's like a Christian being in hell without the fire. No light, no sound. Guess what he did? He continued to preach messages to an unseen audience. After his miraculous release from prison and his eventual migration to the United States, Pastor Wormbrandt wrote several books describing his prison experience and the sermons that he composed and memorized while he was in solitary confinement, and he wrote them all down. They're in a book. You can read them. After a few years, he received this letter. Dear Pastor Wormbrandt, I was raised in a godly home, but I strayed and eventually ended up in a prison here in Canada. 
I wanted to return to God, but I didn't know how. So I prayed, God, if somewhere in the world there is another lonely prisoner who knows you, please bring me his thoughts. I heard an inner voice telling me to sit quietly and confidently and that God would reach me. Miraculously, night after night, I began hearing a kind of sermon that seemed to come from far away. I repented, and after my release from prison, I ran across your book, Sermons in Solitary Confinement, in a Christian bookstore. I immediately recognized that these sermons were the very ones I had heard in prison. Thank you for delivering them. Pastor Wormbrandt received two other letters from different countries that contained nearly identical stories. Truly, angels had carried the sermons to others crying out to God. It is said that Christians often leave angels unemployed because of their lack of faith. Too often, believers are content to live good lives with occasional blessing, but God longs to give us more than what is good for us. He longs to bring us to better things and even what is best. However, he has reserved his best blessings for those who ask in faith. Why should we ask God if he already knows our needs? We must ask in faith to demonstrate our dependence on him. Have you been content with the good things God has given you? Then ask by faith for the better. Settle for nothing less than his best in your life. Here he is in solitary confinement. I preached the story, similar one, of the, of the, lump, the guy who went and preached to an empty lumber, lumber camp. I'll share that one again down the road. But he's preaching to the air, and the angels are carrying the message. See, God, the incense, if it's pure... God will use it, not only for it to receive worship, but he even will use it in the realm of the supernatural beyond. And by the way, this was not some goofy send me your money message on TV. No one heard this, but someone was hearing it. A prisoner in Canada. God was sending the message to. You know, God has called us now to be his priest in this world. And we have the privilege to be washed and to be anointed and to have pure and holy lives. Amen?